Today's episode of the Andy Staple Show is brought to you by Game Time. Okay, folks, time for a little pop quiz. Do you think college football tickets are cheaper three weeks or three hours before the game? You can find the answer with Game Time, the ticket buying app that proves patience is more than just a virtue. It can also save you some serious cash. Game Time is the leader in last minute tickets. Pick your deal, see the view from where you're sitting, and buy in two taps. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the Game Time app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. So download Game Time in the App Store or Google Play, work that clock to your advantage, and score last minute tickets. Welcome to the Andy Staples Show, ACC Coastal Wildness Edition. There's only one man who can help us break down the division that screams meh the loudest when it has weird games, and also the games involving the teams that may have a chance at the national championship. We'll talk about those too. Stuart Mandel, how you doing? Andy, I'm still recovering from not one, but two wild endings in the ACC Coastal. Pittsburgh survives Duke in a game where Duke had 92% win probability at one point in the fourth quarter, late in the fourth quarter, and Pittsburgh had 96.8% win probability earlier in the fourth quarter. It's incredible. It's it's beautiful. It's a beautiful game. It is, although you know how we feel about ESPN's win probabilities. We enjoy uh, looking at them when they're hilariously wrong, <laughs> when they're at 90%, and the team that is at 90% loses. Not not to knock ESPN, but I do uh, I do love, I appreciate the fact that you can go back in the box score and tee up and what the percentage was at any given time, because there's bound to be ones in there that make you wins. Well, I mean, the, the Miami-Virginia Tech game is the other one of those, where Virginia Tech comes up. You know, takes a humongous lead. Miami comes back. They go for two at a really weird time, but they get it. And then they score a touchdown. And they're going to kick the extra point to take a 36-35 lead, but then miss the extra point and then immediately give up a touchdown. It was beautiful. And adding to the excitement of that was just either whatever was going to happen. Right First, it looked like Miami was going to get blown out at home by a Virginia Tech team that itself has been playing really poorly. And that's like, oh my gosh, they're all going to jump off the Manny Diaz bandwagon for good. Then it looked like Virginia Tech was going to blow that lead entirely and lose to Miami, at which point I'm not sure Justin Fuente would have been welcomed back in Blacksburg. So it's good for him that he got away. Or, or with Justin w. Fuentes, as uh, as Gene Chizik likes to call him. Oh, yeah. uh, you know, And then, of course, wait, we forgot the most craziest part of all is that ESPN signed off because the ref said the game was over and the coaches shook their hands. Right. And then after the, they switched to Georgia-Tennessee, they put a second back on the clock. Oh, by the way, Miami gets one more shot at the end zone, but they didn't get it. So, Stuart, I'm sure you and Bruce Feldman will be covering all of this on the Audible on Monday and then spinning forward to next week's games in the Audible Extra on Thursday. You can also listen to Stuart, our buddy Bruce Feldman. It is an excellent Excellent podcast here at The Athletic. But we got to talk about the games involving the higher-ranked teams. I know there's some folks – I've seen some folks down in the reviews that, you know, not not a fan of, of when we talk about the teams that have the largest fan bases. But I do think that is what most people want. So 
Let's let's talk about Florida Auburn. Florida Auburn was a game I attended today. Uh, the swamp was electric. It felt like when I owned a Toyota Corolla and had a Candlebox CD pumping in the Corolla. <laughs> People were going nuts. It was very loud. Very loud. Biggest home game since when? So that's what I was trying to figure out. LSU in 2012 was pretty big because Florida was undefeated at the time. They would wind up winning 11 games that season. I feel like that's probably the one. Although, you know, it may have been Ole Miss in 2015. You know, they they pull off that miracle win against Tennessee. Ole Miss is really good that year. Will Greer is still the quarterback. So Florida fans, by the way, bracing tomorrow. They want to just get through tomorrow because the last time Florida was 6-0 – Will Greer got popped the next day. Oh, what are the what is the ESPN probability of that happening again? <laughs> the ESPN probability <laughs> of anything happening to Kyle Trask other than something that involving the knee injury he suffered today is is probably pretty low. Uh, but it did look really dire for a second with Kyle Trask down on the ground. But he he pulled the Willis Reed running out of the locker room. Emory Jones actually led a really nice drive, uh, led Florida to a field goal, and you know. It, but it's interesting because Florida's defense was was really the story of the day. They were lights out as a 24-13 win against Auburn. And an Auburn team that played as well defensively as you kind of expected they would exposed a lot of Florida's flaws on offense. But then Florida's defense was playing so well that Florida could afford to be patient on offense and not really panic and abandon the plan. And all of a sudden, you've got LaMichael P. Ryan running for an 88-yard touchdown when they had to run squat all night. I think that that's really the difference here between there've been a lot of seasons recently. You know, it's it's been a broken record at times where Florida had this amazing defense and such a maddeningly, you know, underperforming offense. This might not have been an offense, you know, this was not a Steve Spurrier offense by any means, but at least they've got guys that can be explosive. And so in a game like that where where both teams obviously you know, you're facing great defensive lines. You're struggling to protect your quarterback. It's just really hard to sustain drives. Florida gets a 64-yard uh, touchdown from Freddie Swain early in the game and an 88-yard run at the end of the game, and that's literally the difference in the game. You know, even if you if you took the other points off the board, they still win 14-13. So that's the difference, uh, I think, for them. They're still not obviously at that anywhere near the elite level offensively, but at least they've got some playmakers, and with that defense, that's going to win you a lot of games. Well, and, and let me throw this out there because I think people are saying, well, once they see Georgia, they're not going to be able to score like that. Kadarius Toney's not playing right now. He's hurt. That is their most special playmaker, the, the the guy who when you see him with the ball in his hands, you're like, wow, that's a little bit different. That's the only guy Florida has like that. He didn't play tonight. Neither did Jabari Zuniga, who is their second-best pass rusher behind Jonathan Grenard. He was dressed but didn't play. I say this because – Stuart, I predicted Florida to go eight and four. I'm going to say right now I was wrong about that. I, I think they're at least winning nine and maybe ten at this point. And if they can go into Baton Rouge and win this week, I might have to revise that up even more. Well, yeah, if they can, I mean, that that's that's the the unfortunate part about this for them is you just got this huge, you know, your biggest home game in seven years. You got the big win. Congratulations. Now turn around and play LSU on the road. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a little bit of an un- unforgiving stretch in the schedule after obviously having it pretty easy for the first month. But, uh, yeah, I think 
no longer can we look at that Georgia-Florida game as a gimme for the dogs, even though I think they'll, they'll have no problem in their other games. Uh, and you know, people who hate the SEC aren't going to like to hear this, but uh, there's a, you know, I, have, I do a top 10 every week, and I think I now have four in the top seven. Wow, four in the top seven. Holy cow. So that would, that would be Alabama, LSU, Georgia, and Florida, correct? Yeah, and Georgia, I've been on that bandwagon since the preseason, and uh, I paused a little bit after the Notre Dame game. Uh, Notre Dame's a good team. No shame in a close win there. Uh, but you know, they, on Saturday night, they went to, to Neyland and uh, gave up those two early touchdowns and then outscored them 43 nothing the rest of the way. Uh, I've got Ohio State 1, Georgia 2, Alabama 3, Clemson 4, LSU 5, Oklahoma 6, Florida 7, Notre Dame 8, Wisconsin 9, Penn State 10. Considered keeping Auburn in uh, at 10, but, you know, because of the win, mainly because of the win against Oregon. Uh, but A&M and, and Mississippi State I don't think are as good as we thought they were going to be. So I'm not sure I can justify keeping them in over those undefeated teams. Well, they they the can bottom. play their way back in, though. I mean, they play sure. LSU, Georgia, and Alabama down the stretch. So it's not like they can't <laughs> – they can't – play their way they could probably play their way to number one if they win all those games so i i just think well those sec teams are basically going to play their own playoff yes right one of alabama lsu auburn is going to play one of florida or georgia and and determine that whole part of it yeah and then we won't let everybody start freaking out over the idea of two sec teams getting in because it's not it's not really something to worry about quite yet uh, because there, there's so much left to play. I mean, I, I'm looking at next week completely differently because I thought going into this week that, that when Florida went to Baton Rouge that, that LSU should be able to handle them fairly easily. And now I'm looking at it and going, LSU's not seen a defense like this yet. Is the offense going to be as good as it's been against this defense? I don't know. And then LSU's defense is not as good as Auburn's. Florida did score 24 points against Auburn, even though it turned the ball over four times. Will Florida's offense be better? So are we going to see like this this incredible shootout next week in Baton Rouge? Every week's a new season, and uh, it, like I said earlier, I think it's a tough situation for Florida to turn around and play this game on the road. Now it will be Florida's defense is for real, and you're right. I mean, I don't think Texas' defense is bad, but it's not at, at the level of Florida's. So this will be the, the the biggest challenge so far for Joe Burrow and those receivers. But really, the story for LSU on Saturday, I know not a lot of people probably bothered to tune into LSU Utah State for very long. Uh, but but just a reminder: Utah State double digit win team last season. Jordan Love is a very highly regarded draft prospect quarterback, and they just completely shut them down. They yeah. went forty two to six and answer some of the questions that came out of both not just Texas but Vandy. In both those games, LSU was unstoppable on offense and gave up big plays on defense, which is unusual for LSU. This dominating performance against Utah State was more typical. Yeah, and it looked like Utah State was going to make a game of it. They were driving early for what looked like it was going to be a, a, a second score, and then LSU picks it in the end zone, and Utah State never sniffs it again. Uh, it was It was very interesting to see that defense playing that well because we we assumed it would all all along we just hadn't seen it yet sorry i got distracted for a second by the fact that oregon state really is going to win this game 
Well, all right, let's let's shift gears and talk about that because this this is no, we, we, keep doing whatever you want to do. No, no, no. We need to talk about this. We need to talk about this because you are correct. Oregon State going into the Rose Bowl and beating UCLA. Uh, maybe I'll do the breaking news do 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 thing. <laughs> Obviously, you're listening to this on Sunday morning. This has happened, but if I had told you, Stuart, when Chip Kelly was hired at UCLA that they would have one win at this point in his second season and he will have just lost to the Beavers at home. What would you say? On on, There's no way you could have pictured that. And by the way, if you remember, the big shocker of that coaching carousel was that Chip Kelly passed on Florida for UCLA. And Dan Mullen is now 16 and 3 at Florida. Dan Mullen... Dan Mullen's on a 10-game win streak. Chip Kelly is 4-14. and Believe it or not, he comes out of this game with the same 4-14 and record as Oregon State's Jonathan Smith. And guess what? <laughs> One of them is playing with a better hand than the other. One of them so, costs a lot more than the other. Yeah. And by the way, not just lose to Oregon State at home. Oregon State puts up almost 50. It's uh, 48. So uh, it's embarrassing. You, I guess they thought that second half against Washington State where they scored 50 points in the second half was okay they've woken up here they come and it's just been uh you know they're gonna be one and four now so or, or <clears throat> yeah excuse me they're gonna be, one, gonna be one, and one and five now yeah so it, that's brutal this is now all that being said I don't agree with the people who are like oh they're gonna fire Chip Kelly no because mm. it's UCLA if it was Florida they'd be firing it's UCLA him right now. yeah they if they're gonna fire, if they're gonna fire him, then Dan Guerrero might as well fire himself. And I know he's retired he anyway, but yeah, he 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 staked everything in Chip, and uh, they're not gonna give up on that after two seasons. Now Chip could say, "I'm done, and I'm gonna go do something else," but I don't see them firing him. But this is bad. Well, since we've headed out west, let's let's talk about the Pac-12 a little bit because we we saw or we saw Auburn lose tonight. Auburn beat Oregon. Oregon is the team. Is Oregon the team we think is going to win the Pac-12? I, I think they will. What say you? Well, my concern, I do still have a lingering concern with Oregon. Justin, whenever, when's the last time Justin Herbert had a huge game against one of their better opponents? He started to have one against Auburn and then got shut down at the end. Cal's defense, to their credit, did a really nice job against him. Cal's defense is unbelievable, and it's a real shame for them that uh, Chase Garbers, their quarterback, went down last week because without him, they cannot score. Uh, and so eventually eventually they they couldn't uh, hang anymore against, against Oregon. But Cal's defense obviously did a nice job. So I think that Oregon has a lot of pieces, but that still gives me a little bit of pause with them. And I'm not ruling out Utah yet either. I know obviously they lost at SC. Uh, but they looked a lot better the week after that and a little bit of an easier road coming from the south. I'm of the opinion that maybe I'm just as my West Coast bias coming out that the Pac-12 has actually been pretty compelling and entertaining this season. Are they going to go to the playoff? Probably not. Probably not going to put a team in the playoff. That's okay. <laughs> remember how Arizona lost his first game to Hawaii? They haven't lost since. And remember, he Khalil Tate was one yard short of winning that game. Yeah, and he threw for 404 yards and three TDs against Colorado. He's back. I don't know where he was for the last year and a half, but he's back. 
Well, he only ran for 23 yards, so Colorado's probably like, well, at least he didn't run for 300 like he did that one time against But us. that seems to be, for whatever reason, that's been the progression since someone took over. So he's becoming less and less of a runner and showing people that, yeah, he actually can throw the ball pretty well. Yeah, it. but I, I'm with you on the Pac-12 being compelling. I, mean, I think Arizona State's interesting. Arizona's interesting. SC is endlessly interesting. And... I think they're going to go get killed by Notre Dame, but I still think they're going to be competitive in the Pac-12 South. Absolutely. So, I I just I'm with you there that it's going to be highly entertaining even if they don't put a team in the playoff. Let, let's go to a league that has not put a team in the playoff the last two years, but seems to have one that is making a beeline there. Your number one team in your rankings, Ohio State, they look pretty darn good against Michigan State too. Another week, another lopsided win. Michigan State was able to hold them down for a quarter. The, the explosion didn't come right from the first series, but I believe they had 296 yards in the second quarter, and it was it was over at that point because Michigan State just doesn't have the offense to, to come back in a game like that. Um, J.K. Dobbins, it's been interesting. He had a really good freshman season. Then it felt like he kind of disappeared last season a little bit or – I think he still got to a thousand yards, but he wasn't as uh, he wasn't as much of a highlight reel. It didn't feel feel like he was as explosive or as dangerous. Like he he feels his freshman year and right now he feels like a threat to to break one every time he touches the ball. Yep, and he did. He had another long touchdown. Uh, I believe I saw a sixty seven sixty seven yard touchdown. They've they've played three Big Ten opponents at this point, and he is averaging one hundred eighty one yards in those games. That's pretty good. And then when Justin Jeez, Fields is your quarterback on top of that, uh, you got you got some good things going on. So, yeah, I know that became a big talking point coming out of the Nebraska game. Are they actually the number one team? If you're looking at how the teams have played just this season, not last season or the year before that or the year before that, yeah, they've been the most impressive team. I'm not sure how you could suggest otherwise. Uh, but that doesn't mean that Clemson stinks and Alabama stinks or Georgia or any of these other teams. It's kind of um, – it's all relative right now because with all those, there's just so many great undefeated teams still, and you're just kind of nitpicking on a lot of them. Ohio State's the only one that really just has not been touched. Yeah, it, it doesn't feel like anybody's close to them. And one team that I, I, based on what we've seen, I do not expect to be close to them is Michigan, which won a game today that may have set football back 100. Maybe they were celeb- – maybe Michigan and I were <laughs> celebrating – the 150th anniversary of college football by tr- attempting to replay the first game. I really appreciate Michigan for not touching their uniforms, that these are the same uniforms we've seen Michigan wear throughout time. But because of that, there are times when it looks like you think like for a second, am I watching an ESPN classic replay from 1982 and Bo Beckler's the coach? Because uh, it was that kind of game again. It was exactly the kind of game I thought it would be. Uh, I think... I, I, I did not think Iowa would be so bad at pass protection. I, I heard all season, I've, I've been told all season by the Draftnik types that Iowa has five NFL offensive linemen. Well, those five NFL offensive linemen need to talk to one another when there's a zone <laughs> blitz so they can figure out who to pick up because they didn't pick up squat. Well, and give Michigan's defense credit, obviously uh, did not look good against Wisconsin. But in this game, whether it was what Don Brown was scheming up or just better performance from those players. They held Iowa to three points. Uh, Stanley had had 
it's probably one of the worst games, if not the worst game of his career there. Uh, and and I, you know, Bruce had asked me on the on our podcast last week, oh, if the, if Michigan goes out and beats this ranked team, are you going to have more confidence in them for when they play uh, Notre Dame, Penn State, and Ohio State? No, not really. No, uh, I, I think none. once you're at this point in the season, the team that scores for you know 14 against uh, Wisconsin, and, and that was even really that was those garbage time points and. Was those fourteen in regulation against Army and ten against Iowa? I think we just kind of have to uh, accept that their offense just isn't very good. Well, I I was watching that that game early and thinking, okay, this is when they break out because you know they they did against Rutgers, which look, everybody's going to do that against Rutgers. But I was thinking, all right, this is when they realize we have the best receiving core in the Big Ten. We got a quarterback who can get him the ball and who can improvise a little bit out of the shotgun. Let's just let it rip. And and they had, you know, they they did march the ball down the field with a long pass, but all of a sudden that stops and you never see it again. And I think you're right. I think I sometime in the third quarter I just res- resigned myself to the fact that even though they have these weapons on offense, they will never use them correctly for an entire game. Well, First of all, I, I don't know what I'm not necessarily as high on their weapons as uh, as other people are. Maybe we just oh, haven't I seen like them the used properly. I don't know. The receivers are the strength, but they don't really have a running back that's going to scare anybody yet. Um, and but most of all, it, it's Shea Patterson missing receivers. Uh, I'm not saying they were wide open receivers. I was got a very good defense. He was overthrowing guys. He's just there, there's no way to say he's taking a step back maybe more than a step back from where he was when they were on that 10-game winning streak last season. He looks just really uncomfortable. He did have one really good uh, downfield pass uh, in the first half, but other than that, it, he wasn't exactly wowing anybody out there. And so, and that's just been the theme all season. Yeah, I, I thought, I just thought this was going to come together, and it wasn't even the Josh Gaddis thing. I just thought because they these guys have played together a while, and again, the explosiveness of those receivers that – at some point they would it would click and, and they'd figure it out but it just it hasn't really happened for them uh the the one offense that's always clicking Stewart is Oklahoma they played Kansas uh they did what you expect them to do to Kansas uh Texas played West Virginia uh that was close for a little while and then Texas starts throwing to offensive linemen for touchdowns and of course <laughs> the football gods say we will bestow victory upon you I thought that could end up being a tough game for Texas, and it was for at least a little bit, just because they have so many injuries on their defense right now, uh, and they're going and playing a West Virginia team that does have guys on offense. As it has, you know, Austin Kendall's a decent quarterback. They are in rebuilding mode, no doubt about that. And so West Virginia was able to take advantage a little bit early, and then by the second half, though, the talent discrepancy just just won out. And of course, that brilliant play call that you're referring to. <laughs> where you get an offensive lineman rumbling for a 12-yard touchdown. By the way, if Derek Brown hadn't tripped against uh, Florida... Against Florida, that, he won the Pison, he, he would have won the Pison Trophy on that play. That play. And, and not only that, it would have been the probably the greatest fat man touchdown ever. I, I just can't recall anybody... Usually the, 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 the ones, the plays that are up for the Pison is like, oh, congratulations, you, you had a 15-yard touchdown. That would have been no, what? That would have 60, been like an 85 yard, yard 80? one. Yeah. <laughs> and and, and mean, he had another one later. And he in the had game. it. <laughs> he had it. It was Uh-oh. nothing but grass in front of him. And unfortunately, grass won. But 
tripped uh, over I, the thirty yard line. I digress. Yeah, the the Texas one though was was impressive. So I'm I'm looking forward to. I feel like Oklahoma has basically just been in this extended preseason camp uh, for like the last five. I think they've played five, right? right? It's it's they just haven't they haven't played anybody that can they can remotely test them, and uh, now they go play Texas. Uh, yeah, that fun. that is a game that I've been very excited for just because I don't think there's anybody who can slow down Oklahoma's offense other than Texas in the Big Twelve. I mean, maybe it's Iowa State, maybe, maybe TCU. I don't know, but TCU didn't slow down Iowa State today. Um, so you're forgetting somebody. May I Kansas introduce State? you to the Baylor Bears? Oh, that's true. Baylor uh, might do. Matt that. Rule's right. Baylor Bears are playing some phenomenal, playing really well defense. Um, they went and took it to Kansas State. They're five and zero, and just. It's it's interesting the Big Twelve, which gets so mocked for their, I mean that that's the meme right every year. Big Twelve defenses, as of last week, I you know we don't have have the updated numbers yet. There were five Big Twelve defenses in the top twenty five nationally, and that and I think that's the influence of guys like Matt Campbell and Matt Rule who are not air raid. Uh, right, they are not of not, the not Big the, Twelve. Right, they're not the the kind of co- like the the prototypical like Mike Gundy or Holgerson, like the prototypical Big Twelve coach. They are defensive guys, and it's starting to have an influence. Yeah, and, and that I think that makes the conference more interesting because I like the clash of styles more than I like everybody playing the same thing. I do too, and and it has felt that way at times. Remember when Gary Patterson, the defensive guru of all defensive gurus kind of threw his, his hands up in the air and said, all right, I'll run that offense too. <laughs> and it worked for a couple years with when they had Trevon Boykin. At that point, it was like, all right, well, if he's going to do that, then who's left? Everybody in this conference other than Bill Snyder was playing the same style of offense. Now it's starting to diversify a little bit. Yeah, and, and I, I think it's all the better for it, although I think we're going to see a lot of points in Dallas next week. The, the question is, can, can Texas slow down – Oklahoma's offense at all and I I don't know I mean I thought Kansas hitting a little bit of uh, you know having a little bit of success against Oklahoma's defense suggests to me that that maybe Alex Grinch wasn't the cure-all and and we'll find out when we see what Texas can do to them Puka Williams two years in a row now has gone for over 100 yards in Oklahoma for some reason he is kryptonite to the Oklahoma defense uh, I think Texas's defense can slow them down, but I'm not sure. That t- I think they're a year away. They have athletes. They have guys up front. We saw that at times against LSU. I think they're a year away, though, from having that kind of defense. But that being said, they beat them last year. So, And we have seen upsets often in the Red River game. So anything's possible next week. Uh, this is going to be a, a fun week because you've got two big headliner games Got a noon Eastern and an eight Eastern Red River from the Cotton Bowl, and then Florida LSU from Tiger Stadium at night. That's a that's the way you book in today, right there. And I, I am very excited about that. What are you and Bruce going to be talking about on the Audible and the Audible Extra this week? Well, it's I mean, those two games are obviously the headliners. It's a really good week, even after that, when you talk about games like. You know USC Notre Dame. I don't know that USC can pull it off, but rivalry. It's game still and, very interesting, no matter what happens. 
what every week with Clay Helton is a soap opera. It's compelling. Alabama at A&M. The A&M that we've seen so far does not stand a chance in that game, but both teams are coming off an off week. Um, Kellen Mond, it can be wildly all over the map from one week to the next, so obviously I'm interested in that. Uh, I'm interested in uh, Michigan State, Wisconsin, and I'm interested in Penn State, Iowa, only in that it could be 6-4 to four again. No, I'm just kidding. I don't, I, I, I don't think, I don't think, I don't think this Penn State team happen. is – no. Uh, let, me, uh, let me throw remember, one more at you. Yeah. Florida State, Clemson. Yeah, we can't forget about that. Because the last time we saw Clemson, they were barely beating North Carolina. The last time we saw Florida State, they had undergone what appears to be a dramatic improvement since the hiring of defensive analyst Jim Levitt, who can't coach players, but whose influence has clearly been felt. <laughs> so I, I don't think... Florida State wins this game because I think Clemson woke up after the the North Carolina game and they're going to be fine. But if Clemson is sleepwalking through this season, Florida State does have the athletes to scare the hell out of them. Yeah, and and whatever Florida State ends up being this year, record wise, there's no question, right? They're they're the only team in the conference that has talent that's close to that's anywhere close to Clemson's. Those are four and five star kids too. So. This, this is the one of the rare weeks of the rest of the season where Clemson will be playing a team like that. I think they're going to come out. I mean, can you imagine what Brent Venables was saying to his defense over the last two weeks oh, since the uh, it UNC was probably game? Very ugly. I, I think they're going to come out ready to take somebody's head off uh, against Florida State. Um, but but I, I'll certainly be interested in that. So anyway, it feels like all this is a way of saying the last uh, this week and last week's schedules felt pretty light and part of that is there's an extra everybody's got two idle weeks this year lack of inventory i keep trying to tell people that nobody listens neither alabama or clemson played today we're we're spread everybody was it seems like almost everybody in the country is off either last week or this week but we're all back next week a lot of big games next week i can't wait you can listen to this podcast the audible on monday the Audible Extra on Thursday, and the next edition of the Andy Staples Show on Friday, the Secret to Happiness edition. This is going to be a great week. Stuart, thank you so much for joining. Thanks, Andy. If you're joining the Andy Staples Show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, please rate and review, and please tell all your friends. We love talking about college football, and we want more of you to talk college football with. Also, subscribe to The Audible with our friend Stuart Mandel and Bruce Feldman. And if you would like to hear The Audible Extra and the Friday edition of The Andy Staples Show, subscribe to The Athletic, where you will also get, oh, only the best sports writing in the world. Go to theathletic.com slash Andy Staples. That's theathletic.com slash A-N-D-Y. S-T-A-P-L-E-S. You can hear the Audible Extra on Thursdays. You can hear the Andy Staples Show on Fridays. And you also get access to a universe of tremendous sports writing. More than you could ever read. But we hope you try. We talked a little bit of Florida Auburn with Stewart, But I want to get a little more in depth. I was at the game afterward while still at the Swamp. I joined our Auburn beat writer Justin Ferguson. And we got deep in the weeds of the SEC Florida, Auburn, games coming up for both teams against LSU and Georgia. There's a lot of great football left, but there's a lot to break down 
from Saturday. So let's talk about it from the swamp with me and Justin. Here at the swamp with Justin Ferguson, our Auburn beat writer. And this is a very interesting outcome because Auburn limited Florida to the things we thought they would limit them to until they didn't. Yeah, this this felt like a game where Auburn did all the things it didn't need to do against against Florida, especially against their offense. I mean, Florida's three touchdown drives went five combined plays. A team that was having a hard time moving the ball consistently on them, you got to be able to take away those big plays. They didn't do that, and so even though they forced four, four turnovers, there's a lot on that defense. And then, of course, it's got to be you know the offense. Auburn looking looking like uh, 2018, some 2016 thrown in there uh, for Gus Malzahn again after what had been a couple of really good weeks of offense. So it's a 24-13 Florida win. Florida goes on to play LSU, still undefeated. That's mm-hmm. going to be the biggest game in the country next week. Auburn will rest, recuperate. But here's the thing. Given the opponents that are left on both teams' schedules, this isn't over yet. No, it's not. And, and this is a game where, you know, some of the best seasons Auburn's had under Gus Malzahn, they've had that earlier season road loss that they've been able to respond from. The question is, can they do it again this year? Because you have to play LSU, who looks better than usual, especially on offense. You, you have to play Georgia and Alabama, who at right now are two of the three best teams in America. So they've got to show that they can find that next step and this bye week is going to be huge this bye week's going to be really big to fix a lot of that stuff so both, both these teams have lsu and georgia left on the schedule so let me let me give you a hypothetical florida beats those teams or competes with those teams if what happens i think i think florida does it if you know they continue to do the things that they did with auburn today is is just bring a lot of pressure on defense and get some of those quarterbacks you know I like whoever it is out of, out of their scheme and out of their rhythm. Uh, I think stopping the run, which Florida did a great job of today. I mean, they forced Auburn to be one-dimensional with a freshman quarterback away from home, and Auburn shot themselves in the foot in the foot a lot. So it's easier to do that when you're in the swamp, but you got to be able to do that now for Florida away from home. I, I thought Dan Mullen called a really good game today. Yeah. That that it was it was interesting because you know, we talk about Gus and Gus being a good play caller, Dan Mullen being a good play caller. But what what Mullen did was recognize their weaknesses. Mm-hmm and do what you had to do to exploit what you could. And some of that was just Kyle Trask catches the ball. He throws it very quickly to somebody like Kyle Pitts on the outside. Auburn is not worried about Kyle Pitts breaking a long run. They're not worried about him breaking a tackle and going 80 yards. And he didn't. I think he had 16 yards on his first six catches. His seventh catch went for 32. Then he had another big one. It was like, it was like Mullen just kept chipping away and never quite gave up on the plan. Yeah, and and on the other side, I think it was we've seen so much evolution and change from Gus in, in these first five games. You didn't really see that today. They uh, they only used two running backs. Uh, Anthony Schwartz got one touch. They they tried the sweep once and then never went back to it. Um, Florida played a great game defensively. I thought Ty Grantham had a, had a great game plan against what Auburn was doing. But Auburn reverted back to some of their past struggles under Gus, where it just if you didn't establish the run, he was just so dead set on it that you know, by the end, when you have a freshman quarter making so many mistakes, it put a ton of pressure on him to go win that game, and, and he couldn't. So this is something we, we talked about earlier in the week. We talked about Gus taking back over the play calling. Mm-hmm. He's going to rise or fall based on doing what he does best. This is a situation where the play calling did not work. Mm-hmm. It is on him. How did he handle that? He said he brings all the pressure and then the blame on himself, and he said he's got to go into the bye week and really, really focus up on, okay, six games, this is what we're good at. This is where I screwed up. This is how we got to make sure it doesn't happen again. And I think a lot of it is they weren't as varied on offense as they had been in the first few games, and they've made it more predictable for Florida and 
full credit to Florida. They executed a whole lot better than what Auburn was doing, especially up front. That line, that offensive line went back to some of their old problems on, on Saturday. And I think he obviously ignores the obvious calls for Joey Gatewood that yeah. will inevitably start. But it does seem like he's he's – Bonix is his guy. Yeah, Bonix is his guy, and he says, you know, I got to put him in better positions, which is true. And and Bo is still. He, this was the first game where Bonix I thought really, really looked like a freshman, and it was the worst environment to do it in because this is this is where people get eaten alive, really, especially these young quarterbacks. And I believe that's what they say before the team runs off out onto the field. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's smart. It's it's a smart it's a smart strategy. Um, no, but I think he also did say that Joey Gatewood. They, they had a package for him ready, and I think they got so locked down on trying to establish the run and trying to get Nix's confidence back that they were afraid to go back over to it. And you, you got to have more than four plays in a possession to do that, too. That is true. That is true. But third and short, Auburn got stopped, I think, four or five times on third and short. When at some point do you try something a little bit different there? And, and Gatewood's been a guy they've been able to turn to. But I think with that crowd and that environment, I think Malzahn was gun-shy of, of pulling it off. Gatewood didn't even see the field. And a lot of Auburn's young, exciting playmakers didn't get a lot of touches today. Yeah, you're ready for your horrific stat of the night. Two of 14 on third down for Auburn. Yeah, and like I think it's like one of six or one of seven on third and short. It wasn't like they were in bad down and distances most of the night. No, except, they, for, except for that one. Except for third and, and a mile, and then you make it even worse on, on that. But, yeah, they, you had to – for Auburn to come in in there and win this game, they had to be really good around Bo Nix. They were not good around Bo Nix, and then Bo Nix had his worst game. You put that together, you're going to lose by double digits to a team like Florida. So, for Florida, this is an interesting one because hearing Dan Mullen talk about it, he's obviously been in this environment with teams that won national titles, and he understands where this game falls in the schedule – and you can celebrate it, you can be happy about it, mm-hmm. but you can't think you're the kings of the world. And he was very quick to point that out. Listening to Flores players, I don't know that they're quite there yet, that they quite understand, hey, you, you, this could all go away next week. But it, it does seem like I, I was impressed by the way that even though Auburn exposed some of their flaws, they kept chipping away. Yep. And eventually, LaMichael P. Ryan does break a big run. You know, Kyle Pitts does break you know, some big gains in the past game. Uh, it, were you surprised that they hit those eventually? No, I was. I was because Auburn had been so good at stopping those big plays. And they, it's missed tackles, kind of get wrong fits there towards the, towards the end. And when you keep that defense on the field for as long as they did – it's going to break down eventually. We've seen this this before from Auburn, and I just didn't know if Florida was going to be the offense to do it, but they did. And, look, it's very similar, I think, covering some really good Auburn teams in the past. You know, teams like this who aren't, might not be as talented overall as Alabama, Georgia, and LSU in the SEC, in order to make noise, you're going to have to win games like this where things are going wrong. you got to keep chipping away and chipping away. Um, I thought, you know, I thought Auburn was the team that could do that tonight, and it was Florida, and Florida got a deserved win. What do you think we're going to learn about LSU next week? Because I feel like they have not seen a defense like Florida's yet. Yeah, I mean, like Joe Burrow can be throwing the ball over the yard and lighting it up, and that's great. But if Florida's defensive ends played like they did on uh, today. And Jabari Zuniga did not even play. It, that, that's, that was the crazy part about it because they got a lot of pressure on Bonix. And, yes, Burrow's different than Bonix. Playing in the swamp is different than playing at Tiger Stadium. But they've got if, if they can bring that kind of pressure consistently – I mean, LSU's going to be in there for it because they have not gotten punched in the mouth quite like what I think they're going to get from Florida on, uh, next Saturday. A lot of big games left in the SEC. It's easy to get carried away with one result. But how much does this sort of set the table for the rest of 
SEC play for Florida, for Auburn, for LSU, for Georgia, for Alabama, all these teams that are eventually going to clash. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we're recording this right now, and, and Georgia was struggling with Tennessee. So, I mean, this has just got to give you a ton of confidence for Florida because you go into these games coming up and say, hey, we can just not win. I mean, not play pretty and still win games. You're going to have to do that. And I think for I think for Auburn, it's this, this bye week's coming at a perfect time. You've come back from bad road losses before. LSU is the specific one. Um, but this time it's Florida. And now you've got to be able to show that you can do that. You can bounce back later on. So, I mean, I think Auburn can still be a team that contends, but they're going to have to do a lot of growing up to do in these next couple of weeks. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to subscribe, rate, review, tell all your friends that you love the Andy Staples Show and you want them to love it too. Going to be a fun week. We've got a lot to look forward to. Texas, Oklahoma, all kinds of fried things at the Texas State Fair. Fried beer, fried butter, fried gum, fried Snickers, fried Twinkies, you name it. LSU, Florida, that night, a whole bunch of great football in between. This is going to be a great week. Join us on Friday for the Andy Staples Show, and we will break down all that is to come.